have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We are concluding today our series on the Beatitudes, the eight statements that Jesus makes about the people who have submitted themselves to the kingly rule of God in their life. Uh, eight blessings that he proclaims over the lives of those who, who adopt and live out these, these statements uh, that he gives to us, his people. I love and I'm challenged by all eight statements. They're all interrelated. They're all tied together. You can't pick and choose. You have to live them all. And Pastor Eric, as I said earlier, posted an online exclusive this past week. Uh, about blessed are the pure in heart. And so I would encourage you to go and to listen to that. It's uh, time that's well spent. Today, we're going to cover the last two uh, Beatitudes, uh, the most, maybe, the most demanding, the most interesting of the eight statements. And we're going to look at partnering in peace and participating in persecution. Aren't you excited about that last part? Just participating in persecution. Um, I, I feel like there's something of a prophetic edge to our study in this uh, area of the Beatitudes uh, at this particular season. After almost two years of a, of a complete stop in activity and, and the isolation that came with the pandemic lockdowns, we're, we're now into a new season, a new period of time. And I recognize that there's this huge desire to, to get together for connection, for togetherness. There are questions that rose up during those years, those two years, where, where we wondered about our own history and, and, and looking for some of those missing pieces that we found in the isolation and quietness of our own time. And so uh, we're, we're wanting to find those. However, because of our isolation, because we've lost some of our best people skills in that, that time of being alone, because of our weariness, we're not always as gracious as we once were. And so we gather together and we talk and we ask our questions. And as we do that, there's going to be some sandpaper moments ahead of us. Some moments when a question doesn't sound exactly like a question, but sounds like an inquisition. Where a statement doesn't sound like an observation, but rather like an accusation. There will be times when the right answer, the proper, the truthful response isn't what the person who asked the question was looking for, and you could be considered a villain because of the answer that you truthfully surrendered. In this summer season, I think Matthew 5, verses 5 to 9, are preparing us for some important people encounters that are ahead of us. I think that God has led us here, so let's get started with statement number 7. And it begins this way, blessed are the peacemakers. As I've been preparing this week, I've laughed a few times about the challenge of talking to so many pot stirrers about being peacemakers. I pastor a congregation of people who possess the gift of mischief and mayhem. And so to ask them, while they're enjoying that gift to the full to be peacemakers, I, I probably have my work cut out for me this morning. Canada as a nation is renowned 
for its international work in some of the most difficult, delicate situations around the globe. Places where, where we've been called in by the United Nations to stand in between two warring peoples that have been separated either by a ceasefire agreement or a tentative peace treaty. And we are there to keep the peace, to keep the fighting factions apart, to keep hostilities from breaking out again. Peacekeeping. But it's not what Jesus is talking about. His, his directive is even more direct and difficult than peacekeeping. It's peacemaking. Going into a conflict and, and reconciling enemies. Working to bring foes together in such a way that they become united, become reconciled, become family. During the pandemic, there are families that have been, become divided and, and gone to war against each other because of differences of opinion and differences in perspective. Some saw it one way while the other members saw it another. It wasn't just COVID, but it was politics. It wasn't just the economy. It could be race relations. It could be end times doctrine. There there's so many issues. And the, and the result is that there are families that are not meeting together, that are not talking, not celebrating together, can't even come together to mourn because they're not in communication. They're not in connection. There's division and disagreement. I, I've... I've been invited to some of those peace treaty talks, and I've seen bad behavior on both sides of every argument. I've heard cruel rhetoric and misinformation from all sides. I'm saddened that in a time when we have a need to be together with one another so desperately, that we've been divided, that we've become polarized over so many issues. In this house, we struggle to keep Jesus as the main thing, the central focus. What is he saying to our church and how is it that we will respond? God has called you, God has called me to this moment of time and has said that we are to be in this difficult, divided, divisive time. We are to be peacemakers. We are to be peacemakers. That under his direction, we move, we attempt to bring healing to broken relationships and reconcile people not only to one another, but reconcile strangers to their heavenly father. I want you to understand that you are not here. I am not here by accident. We are here by divine appointment. I want you to know that you carry a call of God on your life. That the one who wears the title, the Prince of Peace, has commissioned you, has commissioned me to go into the world that is full of hate, division, polarization, and has said, go under the blessing of God and become peacemakers. Jesus knew when he said this that it was dangerous work, that it was costly, that you would be faced with situations that seemed impossible to solve. Let, let, let me give you an example. There was two families in the 1880s and 1890s that had a war going between them. One family lived on one side of Tug Fort 
Fork Stream in Kentucky, while the other lived on the other side of the stream in West Virginia. No one is in no one is too clear about how the hostilities began. Some feel that one family was a unionist and one family was a um, <clears throat> pardon me was a confederate on the confederate side of the American Revolution. But most believe that one family snuck over at night and stole a hog from the other family. It started out with squabbling and threats and some fistfights, but constantly escalated until in a brawl that took place in 1882, one member of the Hatfield clan was shot and killed by a McCoy. And the Hatfields, in retaliation, sent a kidnapping party into the McCoy territory, kidnapped three brothers, brought them home, had a kangaroo court, and executed them. In the 20-plus years that the Hatfields and the McCoys raided one another's territory and killed family members, the, the law enforcement was tied to one family or the other, and so they were afraid to get involved, and so they just let them keep going. And, and it kept going back and forth, and, and, and courts got involved, and it was finally that the um, Supreme Court of the United States empowered this, one of the states to go in and to execute some search warrants and to bring some, some peace to that place. But in that 40 years, 60 family members from both sides were shot or killed in one way or another. And Jesus says, I will send you into some very difficult, very challenging places, and I want you to reconcile people who are divided, people who hate each other, people who are not at peace with God. It's not just peacekeeping, keeping warring factions apart. It's peacemaking, creating peace where there is no peace, bringing unity where there's division, and civility where there is no civility to be found. It's not possible because of a superhuman feat of strength and determination that will bring success. Rather, it's when we carry the heart, the desire of the Prince of Peace who works in and through us. It's under his direction. It's by his empowerment that we boldly go where no one has dared to go before and to believe for things that seem impossible and unattainable. When the disciples asked Jesus, they came to him and said, we like how you pray. Will you teach us how to pray? One of the phrases that he gave them, one of the concepts that he showed to them was this. Pray this way. Kingdom of God, come. Here, where I am. Show your, show your reign. Show your leadership in this place. Kingdom of God, come. Will of God be done. Now, here, where we are. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. A peacemaker is understanding that without Christ working in us and behind the scenes, nothing's going to change. Peacemakers understand that we need all of the wisdom, all of the resource, all of the authority, the power of heaven to be available if we're to bring peace to impossible situations. There are so many... New Testament scriptures, so many encounters where we could find illustrations of peacemaking that Jesus carried out. 
There's the healing of children, homes that had been wrecked and ruined because of the death of a child or the illness of a child, places where captive or tormented persons are, are brought out of captivity or where peace came when people like the thief on the cross are, are dying. And, and through a conversation that he has uh, with Jesus, he's moved from being a punished prisoner to a cherished son just because Jesus brought life to him on a cross. But let me quickly take you to a story that we find in Mark chapter 5. Jesus is coming to the shoreline of, uh, of the Sea of Galilee, and as he gets out of the boat, the, the Scripture says that a madman, a madman ran towards him. And uh, he, he, the madman is, is how the locals described him. But Jesus knew that it was more than just mental illness. It was a tormenting demon possessing, life-crushing situation. The, the, the signs were all there. The man had superhuman strength. No one could restrain him. When they tied him up, when they chained him down, he broke through the ropes and chains as though they were threads. No one had the ability to, to tame the wildness out of him. He was self-destructive, wandered through the hills at night, day and night, screaming with blood-curdling screams, cutting and slashing himself with sharp stones. Jesus comes and the man is as messed up as he was spiritually and mentally still ran over to where Jesus was and, and bent down in a worshipful posture. And, and the scripture uses these exact words to tell us about the voice that came out of the man in an attempt to, to appease, to, to broker some kind of understanding that they would leave each other alone, that they would not let their paths cross. And the voice, it says in the scripture, the voice howled in protest. What business do you have, Jesus, son of the high God, messing with me? I swear to God, don't give me a hard time. Because Jesus had just commanded the tormenting spirit to out, get out of this man. Inside of this man, there is a major spiritual conflict going on, a horrendous war that's been carried on for, we don't know, but we think for years. The spirit of life is, is battling and fighting to find sanity, to find safety, to find peace, but the destructive spirit that had gained entrance, had gained influence, had gained strength, was bringing this man closer and closer and closer to the brink of insanity and death. Jesus arrives in time with the authority of God to broker a life-changing peace and change in the man. Jesus declared that his mission was to come to serve and to give his life as a ransom, to, to buy back the sanity, to, to deliver peace to people that had none. And so Jesus looks at the man, but looks beyond the man and addresses the demon and commands the demon to identify itself. 
And I like how the message interprets this particular statement. When, when he says, identify yourself, the demon speaks and says, my name is Mob. I am a rioting mob of demons who have taken up residence in this man, and I want to avoid conflict with you. I want to broker an agreement with you where I can be separate and not involved, where you and I don't have to be involved with one another. Well, remember, Jesus is a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. He doesn't separate and keep at bay enemies. He brokers and makes peace. We're called to be peacemakers. No compromise. No, no sweeping things under the carpet so that hostilities will cool down. We're commissioned to bring the peace of God to a tormented world, not to make deals with illegitimate authorities. Let's make a compromise. And Jesus says, no. Let's, let's talk about this, the demon said. Send us into those pigs over there so that we can continue to live, so that we can continue to exist. Jesus says, well, that's your request. That's not what's going to happen, but we'll, we'll carry out your request. And so Jesus gives the orders. And the demons have to evacuate the man's body, and they go into the pigs. But the pigs found that the new inhabitants in their own body were so intolerable that, that in a state of crazed desperation, it says they stampede over the cliff and into the sea, and they all drowned. I love that in the message, the word stampede is used. It just makes you feel Calgarian, doesn't it? They, the, the pigs stampeded and, and, and went over the edge. The, the, the formerly, so, so the demons have perished with, with the pigs, but the man, the formerly tormented man, on the other hand, is calm. He, he's at peace. He, he's in a right relationship with God. He's now dressed and speaking and making sense and acting as he was designed to live and to act. And the man now wants to and requests to be a part of the Jesus entourage. But Jesus says to him, no, I have a better purpose for you. I, I want you to go home and bring peace to your own people. I want you to go home and tell them your story. What Jesus has done for you and how mercy has changed you. And it says that the man went back and began to preach through all the ten towns of his region, talking about what Jesus had done for him. And this story became the talk of the townships. Bring peace. Make peace. You have, I have, been dispatched by God to be peacemakers. To go to dangerous places in the world that we live in, where war rages, where hatred is unleashed, where causing, causing massive destruction, and, and bring the peace of God to individuals. Bring the peace of God to families. Bring the peace of God to communities and to regions, and even to nations. As of mid-April, the police statistics 
state that there are, have already been more than 50 shootings in our city and nearly a dozen homicides. We're now at the end of June, and that number is bigger. Our city needs desperately to have peacemakers dispatched. Prophetically, there will be moments this summer when God will situate you in places of conflict so that you can be a peacemaker. And I want you to be aware of that so that you're not just standing by as a, as a casual observer, but that you realize that you're there by divine appointment. Places where, with the authority of God, you can restore peace and calm to, to the life of a friend or a family member so that you can introduce someone to the Prince of Peace who said, I am leaving you with a gift, the peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give as a gift, the world cannot give. So don't ever be troubled. Don't ever allow yourself to be afraid. To, to be a peacemaker, you have to, to be totally dependent on God. You have to realize your need for Him in every situation. You have to be able to mourn over the spiritual state that mankind is in so far away from God. You, you have to assume a, a heart posture of humility. You have to be, have, you have to have developed a, an appetite for the things of God and the things He has said are vital and important. You, you have to be a person of mercy, a person with a pure heart and with clean hands. You, you, you can't just pick and choose which beatitudes suit you. They all come together. They all complement and strengthen one another. You, you choose to encounter all the directives of the King and of his kingdom. We go <clears throat> into the next, the next verse, and it says this, For they, the pe- blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The reward for being a peacemaker is that you will be recognized by God as being one of his children who carries his values, who carries his heart and mission. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. God is the supreme peacemaker. He loved the world so much that he couldn't stand being alienated from his rebel children. And so he sent his one and only son so that we could be reconciled, we could be united, we could be at peace. Our our, our father is a peacemaker, and because we are like him, we follow his example. As, I, as I'm talking about this, I just know that in your heart, in your mind, there are people that are popping up, situations that are rising up in your memory where you think, oh, I hope he's not talking about that one. I just, you know, blessed are they who stay away sort of thing. It probably is that one that God's just sort of poking at, Okay. Listen, it's not been fun studying for this because I've just thought of a couple of places where, oh, don't send me, no, anywhere but there. Don't, don't, no, no, no. The highest compliment that can be paid to a child of God is when people say to you, you're so much like your heavenly father. And if you're like your heavenly father, you work towards bringing peace to situations. 
We choose. We choose to partner with God in bringing peace to the war-tormented places in our world. Not far away, but the places that are right around us. The people that we see, the people we rub shoulders with. Whether the war is because of human conflict, because of addiction, spiritual torment, mental illness, physical pain and suffering, because of abuse, it doesn't matter. I choose to stand in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the division, and offer myself to be a living sacrifice to God and pray, kingdom of God come, will of God be done here in this situation. Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to say and, and stay here on this verse for a couple of weeks because it's rich, it's full, it's packed. But, but we have one more important statement to visit, and, and it's really tied to this one. We have long believed that if, if we do good things, that people will see, they will recognize our heart, they will see our motivation, they will understand our effort and will reward our kindness and our integrity with accepting who we are. And Jesus says, that's not how it always happens. Be prepared. Be prepared, he says, for misunderstandings. Be prepared to, to pay a higher cost than originally thought to follow and to obey Jesus. Yes, partner with Jesus in peacemaking, but prepare to participate in persecution. We've, we've got to your favorite part of the message now. Participate in persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus uses words specifically. Jesus uses words accurately to make sure that the meaning is not lost. If you're persecuted because you're self-centered, you're aggressive, you're a bit of a bully, well, well, that's your problem and there is no reward from heaven for that. However... If in conducting the business of the kingdom, the business of your king, you encounter pushback. If in doing the right thing, you upset those who either have power or a microphone. You should know, persecution might ensue. Let me give you an example. We're going to go back to Mark chapter 5 where we told the story of the the madman. Mark chapter 5, and the story of the man who was having this internal war with the mob. And, and the narrative says that there was a before story and an after story. The before story of the wild man who could not be managed, super strong, professionals couldn't restrain him, couldn't calm him down. He lived in the graveyard, he shouted, he screamed day and night, cutting himself with stones. After his encounter with the Prince of Peace, he's dressed... He's in his right mind. He has a purpose. He wants to travel with Jesus. He wants to live and not just exist. That's a good story. That's a good testimony. This is a miracle. But tacked on to that story is, is a moment that from the moment Jesus arrived on that beach, he, he encountered people, a crowd was standing there observing the entire event. People that have a before story as well as an after story. 
Mark now turns the camera on the shifting, unpredictable response of this crowd that up until this moment has been invisible. This is the same story, but now we're going to the crowd. Verse 16 of of chapter 5, Mark. Those who had seen the deliverance told the others what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And at first, they were in awe. And then, they became upset. Upset over the drowned pigs. And, And they demanded that Jesus leave. That he get out of their township and not come back. So, so there's this crowd, they're watching, and, and they have an evolving opinion. The before story is, is that they, they lived in the area. They had known this madman. The, the, the kids in their house were wakened up at night by the screams of, of a wild man who shouted out obscenities all day, all night. They, they knew he was dangerous. They didn't go to the cemetery to, to put flowers on the, on the grave of their loved ones because they were afraid of encountering this, this man. They avoided him at all costs. And so when Jesus comes and when they see the man go to Jesus immediately, they're, they're tense. They, they decide that they want to watch this story unfold, but they want to watch from a distance. And so they stand back and they watch. They watch Jesus take control of an uncontrollable situation and they are impressed by the transformation that really only took a few moments. And so when Jesus comes... And they see the man go to Jesus. They're they're impressed. They they see him go from wild man to gentleman. And at first they are in awe. Who does this kind of thing? How does he do this kind of thing? It's amazing. I've never seen anything like this. I wonder if he could do the same for my tormented cousin. For my constantly upset neighbor. For my desperate son. However, and we're not told how long the transition or the evolution took, but we are just alerted to the fact that Jesus is still in the area and there is a shift of mindset in the local citizenry. At first they're in awe, but then they are upset, angry. How how can someone become so upset when somebody has been set free, when, when such a dramatic transformation has taken place right in front of, of their eyes. What, what made them change their minds? Listen to verse 17 again. They were upset over the drowned pigs. Does that sound weird to you? Can, can, can I remind you that the story is in Israel? And, and that the dietary laws of Moses stated that bacon and eggs were forbidden? That, that pigs are not a staple of the, the Jewish economy? So, so why are these Jewish people swinging so wildly from, from impressed to angry and upset? This, that's, that's so hard to understand until we read the next sentence. These people who were at first in awe became upset, then demanded that Jesus leave and not come back to their region. It had nothing to do with pigs. Nothing. 
It had to do with the authority that Jesus carried. What if he brings that authority and he comes in and starts looking at, poking around in my closet, my life, my situation? Let's get him out of here before that happens. Let, let's push him away. Let's, let's bar him. It is a mindset that says it's better to live with the devil you know than to chance anything that might change with the Savior of the world coming into your life. And that doesn't just come from a heart. That comes from hell. That comes from hell. It, it had nothing to do with the pigs. It had nothing to do with the pigs. Hear me, church. There's a key there. Only a demon would want to keep someone away from tra transformational light that comes in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in His power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but we are warring against evil rulers and authorities of unseen worlds, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Persecution, kickback, disruption, slander, accusation comes from the most unexpected places at some of the most unexpected times. It shows up Surprisingly, in the voice of someone we thought of as a friend, it shows up wearing the face of a family member. It comes at you from someone inside the church. But know this, your battle is not against them as people. You are getting pushback from an enemy that is not just against your call and not just against your authority, but is angry at your king and will do anything that they can to stop you from making progress, including trying to silence your voice of praise, trying to curb your influence as a peacemaker, and often is trying just to tucker you out to the place that you contemplate quitting altogether. You're not fighting people, you're fighting evil. You need to understand that. You need to understand that. I, I need you to know that you, what you do in the kingdom, who you are in Christ is too important, it's too vital for you to be silenced or sidelined. I, I need you to know that, that the one that Jesus calls a liar and a thief is not stupid enough to raid an empty vault. He doesn't waste energy on ineffective witnesses. He doesn't have time to temper, tamper with the people who have no power or authority. He comes after you because you have a call on your life. If you quit... Many people will be negatively affected, and that will halt. That halt in your influence and call has ripples over all time and eternity. You can't quit now. You are, and you have an assignment that God has given you, and you're too vital to the, to the outcome. It's why you face persecution. Your, want, the, your enemy wants to stop you where you are right now. A few months ago, Eric and I were, we were struggling over some, 
some answers that we didn't have. We were trying to come up with some solutions to pretty difficult situation. And, and, and we were just so tired. We were, getting, we were getting weary of constantly fighting for every little inch of space and progress. And Eric was visiting with one of the young men that he has uh, mentored for almost 20 years. And they had talked about a lot of things. And just as Eric was getting up and getting ready to leave, the young man looked at Eric and said, You can't quit. What you do, who you are, is too important. Hear me, church. You can't ever quit. What you do, who you are, the authority that you carry, the power that you represent, the message that you proclaim is too important for you to be silenced, to be sidelined. We cannot, we will not, we can't ever give up. We can't ever give up. I feel like some of you are just on the edge now. You're only here because it's today, because, well, it's what we do on Sunday. But if I had had a vote, I'd still be in bed. You can't give up. Can I, have, can I have the keys come, please? You can't give up. We're in this thing together. If you're not here, if, if you don't fight with us, then we're handicapped as a church. We're, we're weaker than we were meant to be. We are to be united. We are to find our strength in Christ and in the unity that we have together. Per- persecution is, is meant to keep you silent, meant to keep you discouraged and thinking of stopping the good work that you are called to do. But you're too important, you're too vital to the plan to, to stop now. Here's what Jesus says the payoff is. If the attack comes because of me, then know this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All that kingdom, all the king that the kingdom of heaven has is at your disposal. All the power, all the authority of heaven is on you. All the resources of God and everything that He has given to the church, it's now given to you, to me. The family, the the body of Christ will come and they will stand with you. You don't stand in the middle of the war, the battle by yourself. God cares so much about you that he will wake intercessors up in the middle of the night so that they can pray for you. The, the enemy will lie and say to you in those, those evening hours that you're alone, that no one cares, but it's a lie. God has already started to, to wake up people to pray for you at night. There have been times that I've thought, you know what? I'm so concerned about some of you in the middle of the night. I want to phone and find out what to do, but I don't think you'd really like me to call at 2.30 in the morning. But it's so real. The call is so real to pray for you. Even as the persecution will come from unexpected places, so will encouragement, so will tokens of of the goodness of God. You will be surprised by the way God shows up and He proves His presence to you. 
God, God doesn't promise that we won't go through some dangerous, difficult, challenging moments. He doesn't promise that you'll avoid the fire, but he does say, when you go through deep waters, I'll be with you there. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. I will be with you. The God of heaven, all that he is, all that he has, becomes available to you. Jesus is the king of his kingdom. He invites you, he invites me to partner with him in bringing peace to a violent and a vicious world. Because of who he is and the light that he shines in a dark and desperate world, he says this, but to you who are willing to listen, I say this, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek as well. So many places I could go with that, but I'm not. Even someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Being a peacemaker costs a lot. Being a peacemaker brings misunderstanding and persecution. You are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. You, you carry a call on your life. I don't care how new in Christ you are or how long you've served. I don't care how new you are to this house. You are here by divine appointment. The one who wears the title Prince of Peace has commissioned you to go into the world that's so full of hate, so full of division, and partner in peace to carry on no matter what it costs, even if it means that you will participate in persecution. We go out, we grab hands with the world, and we grab hands with God, and we say, kingdom of God, come. Will of God be done here on earth now as it is in heaven as it is in heaven. Will you stand with me? Will you stand with me? In the name of Jesus, you are called to be a peacemaker. Well, Pastor Bill, you don't know. I know. You're called to be a peacemaker. Pastor Bill, I, I don't talk well. It doesn't matter. You can love well. Pastor Bill, I, you don't know my family situation. I just know this. God has brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. I know that you're not here by accident. You don't possess the skills that you have for, for no reason. You're here to make a difference, to bring about change. How many would say here this morning, Pastor Bill, in my situation, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's with extended family, we have division in our house. there as a peacemaker. I'm, I'm not in that situation. You are. Well, Pastor Bill, couldn't you just come and talk to my brother-in-law? Couldn't you just come and... No. You're appointed by God. You've been brought and put in that family for a purpose. How many would say, Pastor Bill, it's gotten a little hot and a little wet? in where I'm going, where I am right now. The, the fire is all around me. It feels like we're going to drown here any minute. How, how many would say that that's going on right now? Yeah, yeah, some, there's some folks. 
God's giving you all of his resources. He's not withholding anything. He sent his son so that he could open his hands and give you everything he has. So put your hands out. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come and I thank you so much that you're our Prince of Peace. That we can have the encampments of hell outside our house waiting to storm through and yet we don't have to fear. We can be calm. We can be confident that God does all things well. We, we can smell smoke. We can see waters rising. But the promise is it will not consume us. It will not drown us. It will not overcome us. That you are our overcomer. That you will conquer. And we will be at your side to reign and rule forever and forever. And so, Father, I come right now and I speak to the division that is in families. The division that's come into workplaces. The division that's happened in, in relationships right now. And I'm asking God that you would use this people at this hour to speak and to bring peace, to bring reconciliation, to bring health, to bring life, to bring love, to bring unity. I'm asking that you would anoint them for such a time as this. I'm asking that there would be an anointing of wisdom to know what to say and when to say it, to know when to be quiet, when to step back. I ask that there would be an anointing of strength because, Father, there's some enemies that we are facing that have been doing this for a very long time and yet our strength isn't our own it comes from the Lord and you are more than enough you are greater greater is he that lives in this people than he that lives in the world and so let that strength be exuded let that strength be evident let that strength come out in gentleness but in firmness I pray I pray that you would calm minds today let the peace of God come over minds today where fear is saying you're not enough that's not going to come in time. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. Let the peace of God come to minds today. I speak to hearts today. The place where our decisions are made. The place where we decide that Jesus is Lord, not only of the church, but of our life, of our future, of our present. Let the peace of God come on the people of God. Let it reign over their hearts today, I pray. And now, Father, I'm praying that you would open our eyes and give us a discernment to understand our times and to know what to do with them. God, we're not fighting governments. We're fighting spiritual authorities in high places who are trying to defeat the work and the king of our kingdom. And so I say, God, make us wise again. Make us strong. Make us Make us deliberate and understanding your ways and your words so that, God, we're operating as you would have us to operate. I'm praying right now that there would come just this joy that refreshes, a joy that gives strength, a joy that causes all the weariness to fall off. I pray for a joy that brings healing to the bones and joy to the heart. I'm praying, God, that in this season that's been so demanding that that joy would renew, refresh, and restore all that is ours. All that is ours. All that is ours. Father, allow us to stop living like orphans and live like the children of the Most High God. Help us to find our way to the table so that everything we can need, everything that we, de that we don't deserve but by your grace you've given to us, help us to access it so that we can make a difference in the world that we live, in the people that we touch, in the lives that we interact with. 
Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they who are persecuted for your righteousness sake because God, there's a reward. They will be the children of God and they will have the resources of God released to them. Let them see that. Let them understand that. Today we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I just tell you this? Can I just tell you this? It's going to be kind of a bit of a crazy week for you. Okay? Whenever you step forward in God, there's this push to get you to step back. I've called you to hire. And it's not just me. It's God that's called you to hire. So get ready for some pushback and just get ready to say, I'm like a tree that's planted by the rivers of life. I will not, I cannot be moved. I cannot be moved. Well, let's go pick.